Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, first of all, we thank you for coming to this forum. Uh, before we start this forum, let's uh, all bow in prayer. Lord, Father, you are the creator of everything. You know us from the molecular level. You know us physically. You know us emotionally. And we thank you for that. There's no better one to come to in time of need, time of sorrow, time of grief, time of joy, than you. Father, we thank you for this topic that is in front of us. We pray that you would envelop this room with peace and comfort. Father, I pray that this forum would be encouraging to others because truly, we as a church would like to continue to grow deeper with one another and with you. Father, be with the speakers this morning. This is a very uncomfortable topic to talk about as humans. But Father, we weep with those who weep because weeping turns to joy and growth. So Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have. May it be for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. morning. Thank you. Um, I'm not a public speaker. I'm nervous up here, so I appreciate all the prayers that um, many people have told us that they've been praying for, so we definitely appreciate that. Um, about a year after my husband passed away, there were a number of us. What did you say? A little louder. A little louder. A little, okay. Um, about a year after my husband passed away, there were a number of us at home that had lost loved ones that got together and we shared our experiences of um, the things that were good, the things that were bad, the experiences that we'd made and um, we all agreed this would be a really good forum to have at camp. But as far as I know, all those that I've talked to, none of us have said anything to anybody about that. So when my niece Jen approached Zach and I early in the spring and asked us if we would take on this forum, um, I was conflicted. My knee-jerk reaction was, there's no way I can do this. Um, and then the Lord said, <clears throat> remember the conversation that you had and remember this is not you. Um, I will take care of whatever you need to be saying. Uh, each family has uh, a very unique story when we put our PowerPoint presentations together, we did not collaborate with one another. Uh, everybody did theirs on their own, and you will see there are some variations in there, but there's a lot of overarching similarities in there as well. Um, and I think I'd like to even expand more to not just widowed or orphaned, you know, those that have lost parents, um, any hurting. Um, this would really apply to anybody that is hurting in any capacity. Um, <clears throat> when we found out who the panel was going to be, we felt even better about doing this because I feel very comfortable with um, the families that we're working with. Uh, each family will share a little bit of their own story um, briefly because this, this forum is about how you can learn, how we can all learn to help those who are hurting. So we will briefly share our story, 
we will speak of the personal impact of the death of our loved one on each of us and on our families, uh, the positives of what the church did in our situations, uh, things that could maybe be improved, things maybe what not to say and what to say. And then at the end, uh, we would like to have a question and answer session, and we will also um, like to limit this um, to questions that we have about um, how we can help each other. But if there are those who have gone through a situation like this and you'd like to briefly share something, we would encourage that as well. Excuse me, I'm nervous. Um, Through the many unique experiences that we've had, uh, we've learned a lot of things, a lot more than we can carry on in a forum. So um, we would all love to share our experiences with you. We'd all love to talk about our loved one. Uh, So that doesn't need to be avoided. Um, We encourage people to talk about our loved one and share stories that you might have that we don't know. As it really is, um, it's like having them here again. So it's really a nice thing. Um, In my studying to prepare for this, I did read a little story I'd like to share with you. One of the things that I learned in my grief walk is that grief is a lot like falling in love. Unless you have gone through that experience yourself, you cannot possibly describe that to someone else. But when it happens to you, you know exactly what it is. Some friendships fell apart because those that uh, were my friends didn't understand that what I was going through had nothing to do with them. And then other friendships flourished, thrived, and grew because those friends understood how to just come along and hold my hand and stand with me. By the time that we're finished with this forum, our prayer is that we will alleviate some of the tentativeness, some of the awkwardness, maybe the fear of approaching someone that is hurting, um, and give you the go-ahead to, if the Lord is nudging you and you see somebody hurting, go love on them because it might just be what they need. Excuse me. Um, Our journey started about seven years ago. In June of 2006, Paul was diagnosed with melanoma, and he called me at work and let me know that um, he had had been diagnosed. Uh, We didn't know what the stage was at that time. It did turn out to be 3B. I was devastated, but he was unflinched by this entire thing. He, his faith, his strength, um, his attitude right up until the day he died was an encouragement and an example for all of us. And I was really thankful. Um, He gave me the strength that I really needed to go through that horrible time. Um, We were good for about five years. Uh, The sixth year, he ended up with a brain tumor. And he had to have um, surgery on a baseball-sized brain tumor above his right eye and whole brain surgery, which took him almost a year to recover from. Um, He was starting to feel really good again. And in June of 2013, the last ride came. And they found tumors pretty much throughout his entire body at that time. And um, so we had no idea uh, how much time we had. But um, he was asked earlier that year to have the Friday Night Inspiration Hour at at camp. And um, so the day before we were supposed to leave for camp, um, he was in a lot of pain. We'd We'd been in the hospital prior to that because 
he'd had a tumor that ruptured, and they left big black and blue marks um, on his body, and he was in severe pain from these things. So he was in a lot of pain, was kind of pacing the floor all day long, and uh, finally Brother Tony Munther said, you know what, you need to go to the James, you need to get down there to the emergency room and see what they can do, because it might be one of those tumors again. We got down there, we spent about four hours waiting, you know how the ER is. And um, once we got into the emergency, or into that room, um, Paul said to them, before you do anything, I just want you to understand, whatever your test results are, if I need surgery, if I need treatments, you people are going to have to wait. I have some place to be. I need to be at church camp tomorrow. And so he knew his time was short. He was on a mission. He was, he was going to go. Um, we got home at 4 o'clock in the morning. He slept until about 7, and he was up, and he was moving around. We were getting ready to go. So he was determined to be here. And when we returned home from camp, um, about a week went by, and he um, started to get really off. And uh, we took him back down to his specialist and found that the, um, the fluid in the brain had been affected. And so the cancer was basically coursing through everything. And I asked the doctor at that time, what are we looking at? And he said, one to three weeks. So the first part of me thought, I'm going to get off this phone, and I'm going to lose it. I'm going to fall apart, and I need to call somebody, and I need to talk to somebody right now. And the Spirit said, I want you to go apart. I want you to be alone, and I want you to spend time with me. And I cannot even express to you the peace that I felt during that time. And from that point in time, I was able to say, Lord, your will be done. I could not do it until that time. So um, after that, family moved in. Um, my sister-in-law, Esther, came from Phoenix, and Violet came from um, Columbus. Our kids moved in and out. Um, my sister came from, from Canada, and it was a flurry of activity. My mother-in-law basically um, sat beside my husband's bedside. We had a hospice bed and held his hand all day long, uh, a, day, a day short of three weeks. He passed away. And he was the first one I ever saw die. And I was really afraid of that. But I have to say, uh, this is a story for another time. But what we experienced there was amazing. It took away all fear of ever dying. So it was an amazing experience. How it impacted my life. <clears throat> I lost my best friend. I lost the love of my life. I lost the father and grandfather of our children and grandchildren. And that was the hard part. Ezra was his best friend. And that was hard. Um, I lost my future. We were going to grow old together. We were going to retire. We were going to do all kinds of things together. And that was gone. That was taken. Um, the world kept going on like he never existed. Um, it's weird when you wake up and everything's just going on like normal, and you can't even function because all you can think about is, what just happened here? So um, it's, a, it's a huge impact. The finality of everything takes a long time. It comes in waves, and it knocks you over time and time again until you, you get through that. Um, without the Lord, I don't even know how people survive to do this because he was our constant companion and family 
was a godsend. Um, you feel very isolated and awkward, socially outcast. Um, I, you know, going to church, going to a crowd was daunting. I didn't want to go. Unless my grandkids were there and I could just grab one of them and hold them, I didn't, I didn't want to go into a crowd because people avoid you um, because they don't know what to say. And I, for the life of me, couldn't even think of something to start a conversation. The brain was like on permanent paralysis, on hold. So it was difficult just to function for a while. Um, I was suddenly thrown into roles I had never done before. Um, I was married to a man who could fix anything for 33 years. He was a mechanic, an electrician, I don't care what, he could fix it. Um, so, you know, not having him there was extremely difficult for me um, because I watched him do a lot of things, but I can't fix them. I can tell you what's wrong with it, but I can't fix it. So for me to go out and ask anybody to help was extremely difficult. <clears throat> um, you have no choice but to move forward. You don't want to, um, but you know you have to. You just move forward. And you've got to find a purpose and your new normal. Um, some of the positives that we had with um, our time. Family and friends. Um, I can't tell you what a godsend the family was. Um, like I said, um, with Esther and, and Violet, and then Walt came at night um, and took care of things, and um, I remember Hilda telling me that Paul may be gone, but you are our family. And it meant a lot to me, because there's a lot of families that don't have that. So um, family made, meant a great deal to us. Um, people that went above and beyond when Paul was, when he had his brain tumor, he was in Michigan on a golf trip um, with a lot of brothers, our son, our nephew. Um, and I called Zach one night and said, what's wrong with your dad? He's acting really off. And he's like, mom, he's just really tired. I'm sure he just needs some rest. And the next morning he called me and said, something's very bad. He needs, you need to come get him. So I no sooner got in the car and I got a call from my brother-in-law, Frank. And he and Paul Bojanak dropped what they were doing at their golf outing, and they met me halfway with my husband so that I could take him home and get him some help. Um, I will never forget that. Um, when I got home, I called Brother Tony Munther because I wanted to know what to do other than just taking him to the ER. You know, what do you think this is? His nurse answered. He was in surgery. He was actually prepping for surgery. He was cleaning up. He dropped what he was doing, and he came to the phone. And he said, you need to take him to the ER. And I have a good doctor waiting for you right there. He will be waiting when you walk in that door. And he was. And they took very good care of us. Um, Chad and Violet, their house was, it was when Paul had his surgery, we were in and out of there constantly. So um, they, were, they were a godsend as well. Um, friends who just showed up, some who hadn't even seen us for a really long time, and they came. Some brought food. Some just came to pray with us, to hug us, to sit with us and cry. Whatever it was, it meant a lot. They just showed up. Um, I don't know how many other churches do this, but in Mansfield, we have a tradition. When you have a funeral, they prepare a meal after the funeral for family and out-of-town guests. Paul's funeral was huge, and it would have been a very daunting task to try to you know, accommodate 
um, what was going on with all of them. So that funeral committee was a godsend, absolutely. Um, text, loving, heartfelt text. A lot of them that I kept, I printed them out and I kept them. I just read them before I, I came to camp again, too. So um, they just showed their support. Areas that could maybe use improvement. Please don't say, I know how you feel. This is one of these overarching things that we all um, have talked about. The level of intimacy that you have, it's different to lose an elderly parent than it is to lose a younger parent. It's different to lose a spouse than it is to lose a child or a friend. So because you don't know what their interaction was or their relationship was, there's no way for you to know how they really feel. Um, so, it, you know, um, that would be a thing to avoid. Um, please don't say, if I can do anything, just call me. Um, or, um, I'd like to take you out for dinner. So when you've got a free night, give me a call. That's not going to happen. Um, be really specific in your, your help. Because at that time, we're not really thinking rationally. Uh, we can't even wrap our brain around what just happened. So to say, I'd like to bring dinner over on Tuesday, and maybe we can just eat together. Or how about we go out for coffee Wednesday morning? Would that be a good day for you? Or um, I'm going to send the boys over and let them mow your grass for the next couple of weeks until, you know, maybe you can get things settled. Or whatever it is, specific things are a godsend. They're a great help, okay? Um, another thing not to say, and this actually happened to me on several occasions, was you're so strong. God knows that I could never handle this. And that's why he allowed it to happen to you. I kind of felt like I'd been slapped because that's the last thing you feel at that time. I know they meant it well, and they meant it as an encouragement. However, I wanted to scream, I am not strong, I don't want to be strong, and I did not want this to happen. So that's probably one of those things that might be a good thing not to say. Um, if you're asked for help, please don't forget to show up and do it. Because um, that's really hard when you have somebody say, you know, I, I completely forgot. So if you want to get somebody else to do it, um, that's okay with me. It's just hard to trust anybody anymore, and you don't want to ask anything. You just don't want to ask. So please remember your promises. We all need to do that. Don't try to fix a grieving person. Um, you can't fix the situation. Best thing to do is just to sit with them, to pray with them, um, you know, Job's friends were the best um, when they sat with him in silence for seven days. It's when they started to throw their opinions and throw platitudes that they failed their friend. <clears throat> don't avoid the grieving, uh, like I mentioned before, because you feel awkward or you don't know what to say. It, you're gonna be, it might be out of your comfort zone for a few minutes, but it's going to mean a whole lot to the person that you're talking to. And don't be afraid to talk about our loved one. Um, you know, to say, oh, I want to bring it up because, you know, maybe they're not thinking about it right now. Oh, believe me, we are. So it's fine. You're welcome to say that. Um, we're glad when you do because then they don't feel forgotten. Scripture's about heaven. He's in a better place now or he's not in pain or he's not suffering anymore. We know these things. We all do. We have the head knowledge of that. However, during that time, um, they're not helpful. 
Um, because, again, it's kind of just like one of those things you say when you meet somebody, and they just really don't, don't help at that time. Um, don't have unrealistic expectations. Some people think that, you know, okay, well, once they go through the first, or, you know, after a couple of months, they're going to be back to normal again. There's no manual on grieving. That is, you can't find a timeline, because everyone has their own way of grieving, and they have their own timeline. And my mother-in-law, 20 years after the death of my brother-in-law, we had a conversation at a family gathering, and she burst into tears. So these things go on. Um, it's, it's not something that, that ends. Um, one thing I did want to share um, was something that C.S. Lewis said. He lost his wife, and he was very bitter and very depressed for a very long time. But he said, grieving is like getting your leg amputated. You never forget that your leg isn't there anymore. It's a constant reminder. It's in your face constantly. But you learn to deal with it, and you learn to live with it, and you move on. So if you remember that, um, that will be very helpful. I'm going to turn it over to Zach now. So I'm the oldest son of Paul. Um, and my story is obviously a little bit different than my mother's. Um, Losing a dad is obviously tough, but I was in a part of my life that made it a little bit easier. I was a father of my own, married, kind of had my own life, um, but it was still difficult. Um, there, are, there was definitely some aspects that were difficult that I had to learn kind of the rough and tough way, and uh, we'll go through these. So some of the impacts on my life, I was 31 when he passed away, uh, my sister was 29, um, she was out of, uh, um, out of town, so um, just kind of leaving us at a, a younger age. I mean, like I said, we were both married at the time, kind of living our own life. It did kind of soften the blow a little bit, but um, it definitely was still tough. Teaching me mechanics, as my mom said, my dad was a gearhead, and he was also a Mr. Fix-It on everything. Um, when I was younger, I kind of took advantage of that. Um, I did, he did want me to learn, but it was... Something on the last thing in my mind. I really didn't want to learn. I was a young kid. I just wanted to play. Um, I did catch on some things. So, you know, now that I'm older and having to fix my own car, fix my own house, you know, it'd be nice to have him around. I kind of have more of a passion for some of these things, and now I don't have that. Lost my favorite golfing partner. For those of you who know me well, I have a passion for golfing. Um, this was one thing that was probably one of the biggest bonding moments with my dad and I. Um, this is where we went to laugh off stress. We went to have real um, deep conversations with life, Christianity, golf. <laughs> um, and I lost that. It, and um, it, it, was, it was tough. I mean, I, we do, with Mansfield, have a lot of people who golf. We do golf a lot. But there still is that void. Shared the same sense of humor. Um, this is probably the one thing I miss the most. Um, my dad and I would have this silly, going-off-tangent type of senses of humor to the point where our stomach hurts so bad we were falling off couches. Not a lie. Um, he was my best friend. I mean, he was the guy I knew that we could kind of escape reality and just have some fun, you know? Or he was the guy that I could go to for advice, manly advice, 
Lost my father as a role model in getting advice from him when I had father-related questions. Obviously, when I said um, I lost him, um, my kids were young. I had two boys at the time. My second one was only six months old. Um, So he barely got to be a grandfather. I was still a young father. Uh, my uh, My first child was a very, very, very rough transition for me. Um, having the second kid was a little bit easier for me. I started relaxing a little bit, but I was still young. I still had a lot of questions, and he would have been a great man to go to. My children not knowing him. Um, like my mom said, Ezra and my dad were best friends. He loved teaching him cars. I mean, even at a, a year old, all they talked about was cars. My dad took him to car shows, you know, we, they, ta- they, you know, they bought him a little car set, like where you could take apart a little engine, a little plastic engine. He, w- he had plans for him, you know, fishing, um, dirt biking, golfing, teaching him all this stuff. Reality of finality with him. Um, this didn't really sink in. Uh, we went through some grieving sessions. Um, you're kind of in the moment. You're just kind of going through the motions, and finally, when we went to these grieving sessions, it just kind of sunk in that my life is, I'm not going to see him at all. You know, there was hope that will be afterwards. But now, I, w- I won't see him until God takes me. And there's so many memories that we know and so many things that we'd love to do that we'd love to have him along with. And we're not going to be able to do that. Some of the positives of the church. So, my best friend up in uh, Windsor... When my mom was saying that uh, when we had the golf trip, it's a biannual golf trip, so it's once every two years. So it's something that we look forward to. The same day that Brother Paul and uh, Brother Frank took him down, I knew that before I went and, and, and took my first tee off. Obviously, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew there was going to be something going on. I was waiting for that text or that phone call. It didn't happen until after I literally got off the 18th green. About 10 minutes afterwards, I got the phone call saying they uh, would, took him down to the ER. They had, he had a tumor the size of a softball in his head, and they were taking him down to James immediately. I was at a loss. We took one vehicle up there. We had six guys in one, in one minivan, so I didn't have a way to get down there. So my best friend Jordan, I told him about it. I was bawling my eyes out. He just held on to me tight and just had a Holy Spirit prayer right off the bat. I mean, it was something that I will never forget. And he looked me right in the eyeballs and said, I've got nothing to do the rest of the night. I will drive you back home. Three-hour drive. He said, all I ask in return is for Shirley to make me a sandwich and a drink. That's all I want. You have no idea what kind of a doer that is. My aunt and uncle, uh, Uncle Chad and Aunt Violet down in Columbus. So the James is down in Columbus, the cancer unit, so we, we had his brain surgery. This is where uh, they went. They happened to be down in Delaware, which is about 20 minutes from Columbus. They said, we'll take the boys. So we were already on the way down. Took the boys, dropped them off, and went down to the James for the night. How the church provided financial assistance on medical bills, even though many did not know my dad or the circumstances of his insurance. I'm not really going to go into too much detail. But through kind of deception of the company, I got a month. He got a phone call a month after he retired, lost everything, benefits, insurance, all. The church provided financial assistance to the point where we really didn't have to pay for anything. You have no idea what kind of a godsend that is. People offering to take the kids during the funeral. We had so many people, friends and family. 
say, let's take Ezra and Xander so we could focus on what we needed to do during the funeral. That was huge. And uncles offered to be there for me as a father role. My uncle Sonny out in Phoenix gave me a call and said, now you don't have a dad, I want to kind of step in. If you have any questions, let's just talk. We can pray together. I want to be there because there are going to be times where you're going to need some sort of mentoring. Some of the areas they could use an improvement. On the contrary, older fathers coming alongside not to, or to offer emotional support for a young father who has no dad. That's something that not a lot of people think about. I mean, even I don't think about that sometimes if they lost a, a parent. Um, definitely step up. For those of you who have kids, if you see a younger father suffering or maybe not suffering, talk to them. Kind of take them under your wing. Saying I'm praying for you is definitely kind, but for me personally, asking for specific needs and praying with them right there is so comforting and strengthening. Christians, mostly not of our church, were the ones who were unafraid to spontaneously reach up to us. Now, I'm not saying nobody did. There were definitely some people, but the ones that stood out to me were the doers. This is an area I feel our fellowship could maybe work on just a little bit more. Even though some may have larger families, obviously you know the Mueller family is huge, um, please don't assume that your love and support aren't appreciated or needed. We do definitely have some friends out there, a lot of friends out there, that we need comfort. We need to take comfort in as well, that maybe the family can't do for us. Okay, so... um being that my mom is not much of a public speaker, I'll be going through some of her slides, um, be her errand, so to speak. Um, so uh, just a quick backstory. Um, mom got married at uh, 27, I believe. Um, two, years, two years later, they had my brother Jake, older brother Jake. Six weeks after he was born, um, they found out he had uh, uh, cancer. Um, so that was very hard on them. Um, and this was a fam- familiar feeling for my mom because she lost her mother to cancer when she was 18. Um, so, you know, just she, she had a hard life, but like Esther said, you know, it, w- she wasn't strong. It was God that gave her the, gave her the strength. Um, so you can see, lost my best friend whom I could share my heart with. Um, you know, those burdens, those things that... Uh, that we need to get off uh, our shoulders, um, she lost that. Um, lost a provider um, for my father and for us. Um, uh, that's a big one, you know, and, and the church helped so much with that. Um, making decisions uh, that I didn't have to worry about before. Um, now everything's on her. Um, you know, she, she has uh, just a I was six years old. My brother was eight years old. She has us, and she has to make decisions for the future. Um, sometimes feeling alone, no one to share uh, the minute um, of daily living um, events or concerns. Um, raising young boys without their dad. Um, still don't know how she did that, but we know it's from God. Um, at times feeling like I was going through an identity crisis, feeling awkward. So again, what Esther said, um, you're feeling isolated, awkward um, with, uh, with going into church and, and everywhere, you know. You're alone now. Um, life is not the same. Learning to live a new norm. All right, some of the positives. Um, thankful for the Lord, for my family, Barancas and Delix, 
who are there for us in our time of need. Um, you know, she can attest to that, and I can attest to that, that they, they took us in. Um, I remember after my dad died, we went to go live. Uh, we stayed with my grandma. We slept there every night, um, you know, and she was uh, willing to take us in. Um, thankful to the Lord for my uh, church family. Helped with meals, uh, did housework, gave financial help, encouraging cards, letters. Um, it's crazy to look back now. Um, I remember all the letters we got from people I didn't even know um, sending letters um, to our family. Um, so 100%, uh, you know, the church family as well. Not just, not just uh, the family, but the church family. We are a family, so... Um, Many of our churches, as well as brothers and sisters who have helped in so many ways and still do. Um, brothers in the Lord and uncles who took on the father figure role, um, young and old, taking the boys and spending time with them. Um, areas that could use improvement. Saying, I know how you feel, but have never lost a spouse. Um, like Esther said, we didn't talk about this. This is, she came up with this on her own without seeing what Esther wrote. Um, don't ask if you need anything. Call me. It's most likely will not happen. Um, remembering to uh, remembering to do kind gestures, story share. Um, I know this is a big thing in my life, and uh, I was six years old. I have memories, but not a whole lot. When people share, um, it's so encouraging, and it it uh, it makes you uh, remember the good times you spent with um, your loved one. Um, Remembering special dates and acknowledging them. Um, you know, um, for me, it's Father's Day, uh, remembering that. For my mom, it's her anniversary, um, you know, and, and all those things. You know, just, just being there remembering, hey, you know, I know what happened today, and, you know, just being there with them. Remembering to still pray for them. Um, this never goes away. You never, like Esther said, you never forget that your leg was amputated. It's always there. Um, you see couples around you, you think how nice it would be to have, you know, my husband with me. Or I see, you know, fathers uh, with their sons, and I think, you know, um, how much I, I miss that. All right. Um, so just to, you know, backstory a little bit, um, growing up with my dad, um, we were homeschooled, so we spent a lot of time with him. Um, you know, as a six-year-old uh, boy, you don't really understand what cancer is. You understand that it is... Uh, it's a sickness, you know, sometimes he wasn't feeling good, you couldn't play with him, couldn't, you know, hang out with him, but uh, lots of good memories with my dad, um, playing tennis, wrestling, um, you know, and him telling us stories when we were young, uh, he would do it in this funny voice, and it was great. Um, impact on my life. Um, so, Jake was eight, I was six. Um, we had to grow up faster, um, especially as, as young men, um, you feel that responsibility um, to help out at home, which is 100%. You should feel that responsibility, but at the same time, it makes you grow up faster. Um, we grew up most of our lives without a dad. Um, being that, we had to learn a lot of things on our own, um, even the simple, like, how to throw a baseball, you know, um, how to change oil in a car, you know. Um, um, but thank God, you know, a lot of people came alongside to help us with that. Um, we missed out on some learning, guidance, teaching that only a father can give. Um, as I grow older, I see more and more of this. Um, 
you know, missing out on that. Um, uh, miss our evening prayers with him. Uh, miss stories he could share with us before bedtime, like I mentioned. Uh, miss wrestling with him. Uh, I remember the one time um, he pushed me off a of bed, and I rolled and pulled a muscle in my neck, and I couldn't move. I'm like, I uh, can't move, can't move. So he had to come help me. <laughs> miss his corny jokes. Um, if any of you guys know some of the Broncos, and my, if you knew my dad, he was corny. Um, inherited some of his sense of humor, though. Um, the positives. Family and friends surrounding us. Um, yeah, I totally remember this, like going to, to uncles, to friends' house, um, you know, some of my friends' fathers taking that role in my life, um, other fathers taking that role in my life. Um, I cannot express how important this is. I don't think I would be here today if, if people did not take the time to teach me how to be a man, to teach me what it was to be a godly man, um, and to be uh, that father figure in my life. And, uh, you know, not just family. Um, you know, you may think it's the, the family's responsibility, but it's, it's all of our responsibilities. Um, the church's financial help through the years growing up. Um, yeah, just, it's unbelievable how much the church helped um, with all of this, you know? All the prayers and love from people I don't even know. Like I said, back to the letters. I remember people writing me letters to specifically me and Jake and, you know, uh, saying how they're praying for us and, you know, um, and people come up to me still, still today and, and say, you know, hey, I knew your father, you know, um, and share a story. Um, people sharing memories of my dad. Like I said, um, it brings, for me especially, it, it helps me know my dad more and who he was. Um, the church family friends still showing support today. Um, this is, yeah, a big one, too. Um, you never forget. Um, and, and there's never a time where the grieving process is, is complete, I would say. You always live with that, with that scar. Um, areas that could use improvement. The awkward, I'm sorry, and avoiding the subject. Um, you know, just saying, oh, I'm sorry, and leaving at that and trying to change the subject right away. Um, people avoiding talking about the loss of, of a loved one. So, again, um, things, uh, thinking it's just the family's responsibility to help and comfort. Um, it's not. <laughs> thinking that enough time has passed and forgetting about them, stop praying for them. Um, I know for myself, I still would love if, if uh, people prayed, you know, and I'm sure my mom and everyone else here can agree with that. Um, forgetting about them on holidays, special dates, again. Um, especially um, as, a, as a widow, I would say, you know, forgetting about if they don't have a big family. Um, there's people in your churches who maybe don't have a big family, and they lost someone, and they're all alone on, on uh, let's say, Christmas. You know, be that welcome, welcoming person for them. Um, Just shy of 25 years, uh, Violet died after uh, a couple of years of sickness and uh, ultimately died of pancreatic cancer. And we were told right from the very beginning that this was incurable and the best we could do is just to make you feel better. And uh, thankfully, that's what had taken place.
moving on here, uh, how did we prepare for what was to come in 10 weeks? I thought it would be a lot longer than this. We were told it would be longer, but it wasn't. So from the time we knew on uh, the Ides of March, March 15th, 1996, 10 weeks later, uh, she was gone. I was personally devastated, shocked, overwhelmed, shattered, crushed. Luke 18.20 came to my mind. Now, I didn't know that was where the verse was, but I found it. And the verse is basically a response to the cornerstone that was rejected by men. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. I know I'm taking this out of context. It's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimate judgment, that grinding to powder. But I was ground as fine as anybody could be ground. It was a terrible time. It was a very difficult time. Discuss it with the children. I have three children uh, at home. What do we do? How do I break this news to them without making things worse? Um, and, you know, you might have a miracle take place that our Lord, if he chooses to do so, but at the same time, I don't want to give the children unrealistic expectations. And so gently and little by little sharing the information with them so as to not to set them into some kind of panic mode or what have you. Yes, discuss it with the children, but how do you do that and do it well so it lets them know what's going on? And I shared basically over time everything with them. There were no secrets. Uh, what would be the gain in doing that? They need to know so they can deal with everything that was going to take place. What about prayer? Yes, I prayed, but what do I pray for? Pray for a miracle and hope and put everything in that? Or do I basically end up saying, Lord, your will be done, whatever you allow. So there's decisions that have to be made all along uh, the, the pathway here in terms of what to do. What about sharing with the extended family and the church family? Well, yes, but how much do you share? And how do you handle the questions and comments that people make? And sometimes it's easier when there aren't questions and comments. Other times you wish there were more. And to what degree do you have privacy and to what degree do you have openness? And I would just simply say that you need to know the people that you're dealing with. You need to know the individuals who are experiencing or going to experience the loss in terms of are they more private, are they more public, and, and, and so forth. Uh, simply because that will put them in an uncomfortable situation if it's not consistent uh, with their style. I realized, first of all, that this is not about me. What does she need? What can I do for her and the children to ease the transition? We're going to be a diminished family from now on, and of all people, the mother. The father I could see, the father I could understand, but the mother of children. I was convinced that whatever she wanted to do in terms of dealing with this situation, that that would be fine with me. Let her make her own decisions, set her direction as to communication, conversations, topics, respect her need for privacy. She was a private person in many ways. And um, there were times when phone calls came, she was not up to talking. 
I had to tell the individual calling, this is not a good time for her. Perhaps another time, but thank you for calling. Thank you for your concern. Uh, and the same thing um, uh, in, in terms of topics of conversation. If she did not want to talk about something, I didn't talk about it. I would have liked to have talked about some things, and I look back on that and I say, maybe I should have pushed a few issues. But basically, I felt that this is about her and how she wants to deal with it. I will support her in that. And if it means telling people this is not a good time for a visit, even if they show up at the door unannounced, that is my responsibility. Continue as in the past in terms of the family as much as you could. The Lord first, our family, church, and work. Keep life stable and secure and predictable. There's enough unpredictability ahead of us, and while we were doing this, let's keep everything else as predictable and as secure as uh, possible. Uh, accept help from the church and neighbors to ease the heavy load. Uh, uh, a woman who was um, not a neighbor of ours and not from our church, but the children had piano lessons, and her daughter was before, I think it was before Sean, uh, had his piano lessons, and she, we talked one time after the lesson, she says, how about if I bring the kids next time for their lesson and save you that, oh, that would be great, that would be wonderful, it's exactly what you need, not just say, give me a call when you need something, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't inconvenience somebody that way. I'd figure out some way to get through it. But accept the help. And in accepting what the Lord has for you, what the Lord has in store, there was a peace about that. And that is a strange thing to say because it's not a very peaceful kind of situation that you're dealing with. It's very frightening and so forth. But accepting and being willing to say and mean it. I never really thought I'd have to say for something like this, Lord, your will be done. I said that about many things in life, but they were not as critical as this. What was helpful? Words of support, visiting, people just being there, people just willing to listen to you if you needed or wanted to talk, and certainly prayer has already been mentioned. Helpful questions, how are you holding it? People were concerned about me. How are you dealing with this? Is it okay? Uh, this must be really difficult to deal with. What can I do? What do you need? But better yet was this is how I can help. And that's a theme that has come through. Say something that you're willing to do and make sure that you follow through on it if it is needful. Informal invitations to join my married peer, peer group activities. Where do I belong now? You know, I go to church and I'm sitting alone. Um, everybody else is with their spouse or whatever. I distinctly remember the May of 96 when she died. At Christmas time, we have our Christmas dinner at church. And I, am I going to go? It's couples. I did go, and the tables start filling up with couples. And I see a table with six people at it, and there's room for eight. What do I do? Do I take that one spot and then leave somebody, some other couple who's probably coming after me to where are they going to sit? Fortunately, a brother had his wife was working at the hospital, and he came in. He was alone. I was alone. They, all, they invited me over sooner than that, before that, but I was really reluctant uh, to go. But it, I'm very thankful that I did go, and I'm very thankful that I was made to feel welcome, but 
that was awkward. And that was just one situation. There are many others that were like that. The hospice, the funeral home, they had a great deal of support for us uh, before as well as afterwards. I made sure that all of us engaged in some sort of counseling. Maybe not because we needed just for this situation, which I'm sure we did and benefited from it, but every time in the future when loss comes, you're going to go back to this situation because this was your greatest loss. And you're going to put everything in the perspective of that loss. And I wanted to make sure that when the children grew older, and of course they didn't understand that at this time, and they resisted. They didn't want to do it. They didn't need it. I said, no, we're going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they went with their age group. I went with my age group and others who were experiencing similar things. And so on, and that was very helpful. At least it was to me. Kids complained that, well, all we do is draw. We just draw pictures of various things. Well, they don't, didn't understand that those pictures reveal what's inside and what you're dealing with and how you're dealing with it and, and so on and so forth. But we talked about it and... Um, I just felt that this was a good thing to do because it was done by people who deal with these sort of things every day. Uh, what was not so helpful? Probing questions. Oh, people starting, some people asking for details of things. And it's like, you know, this is really, I'm sorry to say, I, I never told them, but it's, it's none of your business. My wife wouldn't want you to know all of these things. They were asking not because they were looking for some sort of help or to do something like that, but because to relieve their own anxieties, I think, is what basically what it was. So if the person you know isn't a person who's going to share all kinds of details, please don't ask for expectations that you're not going to get or it's going to make the person very uncomfortable to be put in the position of telling you things that are just between a wife and a husband. Wouldn't even tell the children some of those things. Uh, comments about how knowing how you feel when they cannot possibly know. Okay, we've touched on that one before. Others were very cautious around us. I say this cautious around me. What do I say? Is he going to want to talk about something? Is he not? What, what do I do? And it was awkward, I'm sure, on both sides. Impersonal recitation of Bible verses that I suppose we're meant to comfort, but as Esther already said, those things, we know those verses. We've reviewed those verses. We've talked about them in other contexts and so on. And in one situation in particular, it was like somebody had a prepared speech for any time a situation like this came up, and it was my turn to hear what uh, was meant to comfort, but it did not basically do that. And then unsolicited advice about how the disease should be managed. Well, you know, there were nutritional kinds of things. There were experimental treatments available in Mexico and outside of this country, and who knows, maybe even in Canada. Um, but nevertheless, she did not want anything of that sort, and she was satisfied with a palliative treatment to keep her comfortable as things progressed. Every situation is different, and you have to treat it as such. Family dynamics are different. Children at different ages. Uh, our children were not married. You were married. Uh, and so it, it is different, every situation. Uh, reorganize family responsibilities and pull together. 
after the death. And of course, I'm trying to work too. Now, during her illness and before that time, my boss came in and we had a heart-to-heart talk. He had a heart-to-heart talk with me saying, whatever time you need, David, to do whatever with Violet, he says, the time is yours. And I was very appreciative of that because I was able to go, take her to the hospital for treatments and so on. And if she was really having a bad day, I could stay with her and and so on. Uh, But the family, after she was gone, was going in seemingly various directions. And I really had to pull every together, and I'm in tears doing this, saying, we've got to pull together. Now, Violet was very comfortable saying, um, she knew the kids would be in good hands, and so she was not concerned about that. Okay, it puts a lot of responsibility on you, but uh, nevertheless, I said, we've got to work together, we've got to share chores, do things, i got to go back to work, I can't be home all the time and so on. Family members came to the rescue. Tasha was 11 years old, still in grade school, uh, comes home at a different time than the older children do, and so on. And I'm still working, and I'm not five minutes away. I'm 40 minutes away. Uh, So others came to our rescue to help out during those times. But uniting and pulling together. Now, I know that there are families that uh, when these situations happen, and there's a time of transition and change, they disintegrate. The family life literally disintegrates because nobody's pulling, don't know how to handle it. She always, the mother always did these things and so forth. Uh, Surging waves of emotion would overwhelm at unexpected times. Oh my, ever sing safe in the arms of Jesus? Safe on his gentle breast? I remember trying to sing that in church and trying to hold my emotions together. It was hard because it meant so much. Surging waves of emotion coming over you, just like a wave and being pushed over by a wave, and you never know when it's going to happen. I'd be in the mall, and I'd see a young family at the food court with two children, the mother and father, and they're feeding their kids and so on, and I thought, well, that's what we used to do when the kids were younger. I lost them. I walked away. I, it was hard. I had no idea something like that was going to happen, but it did. And I'm appreciative of the fact that it did because of my love for her and the memories it brought back. I think of her almost every day. It's comforting to know that others occasionally do too. Share a good memory with us. Share a good memory with me or with the children. Uh, something that you remember. Uh, There are a lot of things that I'm sure I don't know that you do, and that would be nice to hear. Is it going to bring back? Sure, it might bring back a few tears and so on, but that's fine. Um, When there's love, there will always be a place in my heart. This is not something that can be filled by another method or by remarrying so uh, it, there is still a place, and this is the way I am comfortable. I want that. You know, the Bible talks about uh, the wife of your youth um, in Proverbs there when it gives advice and the father's giving advice to his son. And, and um, this was the wife of my youth. Uh, moving on. Oh, Sean's turn. So I'll try to be brief so we can get to some questions. Um, There was a lot that's repetitive, 
So I'm going to kind of skip over that stuff, and I think I'll just try to point out the items that I, I think are different. Uh, Dad talked about the different ages that we were, and uh, Sonia was at a spot where she's graduating high school. Uh, she had already met Chris. This was a very important time in her life, and so she had a different reaction to just the whole situation. I guess my uh, comments about how can the church you know, be aware of these things is kind of think through where somebody's at in their life and have that impact maybe what you say to them. Um, my mom's passing had a big part in my conversion, and uh, that summer is when I gave my life to the Lord. And as Dad said, Tasha was more just in that need of, a, of care, care and caregiving. Uh, Devin mentioned a lot of these things, so I'm not going to too much talk about them. And Dad talked about having stability, which I think as children, you know, we crave that. Um, these were covered, so I'm not going to go too much into this. I wanted to cover this last one here, um, what I thought might be good questions. Things that I didn't hear too often, but over the years I've heard others say these things or I've read these things or uh, thought that these might be better in terms of what you can say instead of the awkward I'm sorry's or how's it going. And those are, nobody knows what to say, and I understand I find myself wanting to say that to somebody else because I can't think of these things. So good questions. What do you wish somebody knew? You know, if I said that to Zach at that time or even now, he shared a lot of that today, so we know what Zach's thinking. Oh, see how this is definitely going to impact us here if we lose it. Um, and what's it like for you now? That might be a good question, you know, in the future. Everybody mentioned it doesn't go away. Um, in terms of what the church did well, the examples I have, you know, family, I had cousins that would just take me. And I don't know if they asked Dad. I don't know if they asked me, but I remember going to their house a lot. And they just did it. And I loved that. Um, friends. I had friends that took me in. You know, I was the only boy, so I needed other guys to be with. And uh, my best friends, that family, I think I was at their house for a few months more than I was at my own house. And it was a bit of maybe of an escape, but it was also just the comfort of being together with um, another family. And I like that. Uh, the families at Norton. Um, I don't remember the timing of this exactly, but I do remember a family taking us kids out on their boat one Saturday afternoon, and that just meant a lot. It was a small thing, but they just did it. Again, I don't know if they asked Dad or if they just told him, but that was an example of something to do. Acquaintances. I remember coming to camp either that summer or the next summer, and the guy that I didn't know that well, but he uh, had lost a parent as well, and we connected and were able to spend time talking about our situations, and that helped. Uh, a neighborhood family. I remember them giving us uh, desserts. The lady either worked for a company, and they literally filled a freezer full of, full of desserts that lasted a year. And so that was like the endless, you know, Entenmann's desserts. And as a kid, that was something to look forward to. So that was a great just piece to help. Um, uh, the one item I wanted to cover on here, maybe where the church lacked, and, um, you know, Carol, we had a unique situation within a couple of years. Carol was in our lives. And, uh, you know, this, when Dad said he realized in his wisdom it wasn't about him, you know, kids, 16 years old, 18, 11, we thought it was about us. And so our reaction to Carol, unfortunately for her, was negative. And I think that was hard for all of us. Um, what didn't help was some insensitivity maybe to my mom as it related to this. I had somebody say, well, Carol's going to be a good mom. And, you know, I didn't know what to say. I don't even know if I said, well, she'll be my stepmom. You know, I have a mother. I remember that being my thought and my response. 
Um, so that's a unique situation. I guess I would just want to share that that's something to be sensitive to. Last thing, you know, we were just putting up that question, is there anything else the church should be doing for support over time? And hopefully what came across in all of these was, you know, we don't forget. We don't think of that, uh, you know, we don't forget that that leg's not there, that that person is not there. It's always there. And those memories and those uh, even questions about, uh, you know, what we miss, that might be another good question. I think those are all helpful for us. So with the remaining few minutes, uh, the rest of them are going to come back up. And if you have specific questions for any of us, uh, we'd like to stick to probably questions just based on time. So if there are any, we'll take those. So my struggle with helping is how do I know if you're overwhelmed with people bringing a meal or offering to take you somewhere or do something with the kids? How do I know when it's too much and when I need to back off? Is it ever too much? Just ask. I think that would probably be the best thing. I mean, um, it's nice to be able to say no sometimes as opposed to the other wishing that someone would come. So I don't think you can overwhelm somebody by doing that, especially at the beginning. Um, so I don't think you should ever be afraid to ask. Ann Esther, you mentioned that sometimes people don't know what to say and so they don't approach you. Is it okay to go up to someone and just say, I don't know what to say? Or would you be? Would that be one of the other? Do not say this. I would have been okay with that, uh, because I still feel that way with people, and I think in terms of prepping for this, what I kept thinking is I'd rather somebody approach me, and just start talking to me. And if they have to say I don't know what to say immediately, I know they're saying kind of what's in their heart. Just to kind of add on to that, one of the best advice that I got when I was talking about this is actually called Abby and asked her, you know, what do you think that you would want to, what you would rather have seen, you know, sometimes? And she's like, I want people to be human. So if you really don't know what to say, I, was, I, I would agree with Sean. I would rather, I'd, I'd love to have you come up here and tell me, you know what, I don't know what to say. Hug me or do something, you know, just be a human individual instead of saying, I'm sorry, or making that kind of like awkward case, it's just like, you know, I have no words to say, but I want you to know I'm here for you, or like just embrace this individual. I was just wondering, when there's somebody that you don't know so well, and you feel broken for them, because they just lost somebody, is it, is it going to be, like, is it okay just to come up to them, not even knowing them so well, and just to say, you know, I would like to help you somehow, or I'd like to be with you, or is it more like frustrating, annoying because you don't, you never had like a close relationship prior to that, and does it feel more invasive, or is it okay to to come to them and and want to be with them? I've I've, I've had that before where I didn't know is it okay to go do that, or is it more frustrating to them, or are they just not going to want it because we've never been very close. Just real quick, um, even though you might not know someone, we are still believers. We all still love each other as a family. Um, so just even though I don't know a certain individual 
you know, sometimes it's very uncomfortable for me to go up to that individual if you don't know him very well. But being uncomfortable around somebody, but yet still being there, you don't even know the immense comfort it takes on this, on that other individual. Um, you saw it here a couple times, people not even knowing these people coming up to these individuals, letters, cards, talking, memories, stuff like that. Um, and obviously, I don't think anybody turns down food. <laughs> so that's always a big thing for us. Um, and just, uh, just other support. I know my mom had something to say. I, I was just going to say, um, I probably had more support from people I didn't know very well, um, which I was thankful for. Because those that I did know as well sometimes were even more awkward than those that were strangers to me. So sometimes it might be easier to do that. Just real quick, before anybody leaves, if anybody has tiny tots, to pick them up in layman today. They're doing their choir practice, so I see people starting to leave. So, um, so you were saying it's okay, or you, you don't mind if somebody, um, if it's been a couple years since you lost your loved one, or even more than a couple years, it's okay to to talk to them about their lost loved one and not be afraid that you're going to open up those grieving wounds and make them sad instead of assuming you don't want to bring it, bring it up again because you don't want to make them sad. You're saying it's okay too. 100% it's okay. Um, I appreciate those moments. Although um, sometimes they are sad, emotions can come like a wave. Um, it doesn't, you don't forget them though. Um, so just being there and, and sharing memories and asking them about it. I remember um, working with someone um, Someone who grew up in Argentina in one of our churches. He goes to a different church now. But um, I met him the second time I met him. And we're in a room. We're painting. And he's like, he's like so yeah, you lost your dad, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like so like, how, how was that? Like, like, what did you go through? Like, he just asked me straight up, like, second time meeting this guy. And, uh, and I really appreciated that, taking that time to ask. Um, although it can be hard sometimes, it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, there's an announcement regarding uh, Ray Joyle, I believe it's pronounced. Uh, he was not feeling good this morning, and Thad took him to uh, the emergency room. So we need to include him in our prayers this morning as we uh, finish up, unless brother from Worcester and Worcester, Ohio, yes. Okay, so just so you know, and keep him in prayer. Are there any other last-minute questions? I have... Uh, I put together a booklet 20 years ago or close to it after Violet had died and there's information in there too. They're on the table back there. Help yourself to those uh, through the foundation. Okay, if you want to close. We'll just close with, we'll close with the prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we were able to share some things today about our loved ones and I pray that as each person here may think of situations that they've been through and the challenges that that holds, Lord. Uh, we all felt like there was no easy answer here other than turning to you. And we're thankful that we could share experiences, Lord. We pray for our churches that have such a strong love for one another that even in these tough moments of life, Lord, that we unfortunately all have to deal with, that you would help us to know what to say, where to go, what to do. And I just pray that, uh, that your love would shine through us as we comfort each other, help each other, and continue to talk with each other. We pray for uh, Brother Ray and ask that all would be okay with his health. 
And uh, thank you just for this day and letting us be here and, and uh, worshiping you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.